Welcome to Black and Proud, a weekly podcast that sets out to educate, enlighten, and entertain you by sharing stories about the black race. Ranging from politics to sports, pop culture to modern history, these stories will tell of perseverance and resilience, tragedy and heartache, bravery, triumph, and overcoming. I'm your host, Anthony McNeil, and I welcome you to share this journey with me as I explore what it truly means to be black and proud. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number four of the Black and Proud podcast. Once again, it's me, your boy, Anthony McNeil, back with another episode. And one of my goals with this podcast is to try to introduce you to black history and black people that you may not be familiar with, people that are not commonly known. And with today's episode, I think I've accomplished that. The gentleman that I'm going to speak about is Mr. Charlie Sifford, better known as the Jackie Robinson of golf. Now, before I get into Mr. Sifford's story, I have a favor to ask of you, and that's very simply, if you learn one thing on this podcast, can you please go out and share it with at least one other person? After all, that's how this podcast came to be. I discovered some new information, but instead of sharing it with one, I decided to share it with the masses. Now, let's go ahead and talk about Mr. Sifford. Charlie Sifford was born in North Carolina in 1922. He did not come from a very wealthy family. As a matter of fact, his family was not wealthy at all. They were actually poor. His dad was a factory worker, which back then in 1922, they didn't make a whole lot of money. And his mom, you know, she stayed home and she took care of the family, which was not uncommon for women back in those days. Young boys back then were required to help the family out financially if they were able to. So that meant that they had to go out and try to earn money to help out their family. And at the age of 13, Mr. Sifford became a caddy at one of the all-white country clubs, and this was his first introduction into the game of golf. Through that job, he was able to earn 60 cents a day. <laughs> Think about that shit. 60 cents a day. At 13 back then, it was your responsibility to, to do what you can to help out with the family. So every day, he would go home and he would give his mom 50 cents of his 60 to help out with the family. The only time Mr. Sifford was allowed to play golf was on Mondays. And that's when the, the white country club would allow the caddies that worked at the club to play. Now, this next statement may not mean a lot to you if you are not a golfer. But I've been playing golf now for almost 25 years. And I still have not been able to accomplish what this young man was doing at age 13. And what he was doing back then on a very frequent basis was was breaking par. And if you don't know, if you're not a golfer, breaking par basically means that each each golf course has a set score or a targeted score that you try to aim for. And for instance, the typical golf course is 72. Anything below 72 is considered below par. Anything above that is, you know, over par. Like I said, I've been playing for 20, 25 years, and I've never even come close to breaking par. And at the age of 13, Mr. Sifford was able to do that. Now, he continued to caddy for the next four or five years. And around the age of 17, he found himself in a bit of a situation. He got into an argument with a, a drunk gentleman, and the guy started making some comments about Mr. Sifford's mother that Mr. Sifford obviously didn't like. 
So he decided to go upside his head with the bottle. <laughs> and as a result of that action, he was forced to to leave North Carolina. So him and a buddy, they hopped on a train and they went to Philly. I don't know if he knew anybody in Philly or, or what was the story, but he chose Philly. And once he got to Philly, he continued to work as a caddy and he also continued to practice his game. In Philly, he was allowed to play on some of the municipal courses, which were open to black players. And one of those courses was Cobbs Creek Golf Course. Now, when he got to Philly, one of the guys that Mr. Sifford often played with was a guy by the name of Howard Butch Willer. And this is kind of a side note. But Mr. Willer was um, he was left handed. And back then, blacks could not afford to buy specific clubs. And if you were left handed, you had to have a left handed set of clubs. And they weren't readily available to to black players. So oftentimes. Mr. Willer and other left-handed black players, they would have to do what is called play cross-handed, meaning that they would have to flip their hands around in order to use a right-handed set of clubs. And it's not an easy thing to do. If you're left-handed and you're trying to use a right-handed set of clubs, it's very hard to do. Just a little sidebar uh, comment there. In 1948, Mr. Sifford was in his early 20s or mid-20s, and he decided to turn pro. And back then, he had played so much. Like I said, at 13, the guy was breaking par. By the time he was in his mid-20s, he was easily one of the best players around in the Philadelphia area. And again, that's when he decided to turn pro. Now, back then, blacks could not play on the PGA Tour. So a lot of the blacks got together, and they started the United Golf Association. It was also known as the Chitlin Circuit. They That was pretty much the name for anything that was black only back then, whether you were an entertainer or, 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 or a jazz singer or a blues player, whatever it was, there were certain venues that only blacks could play at. And they often referred to that as the Chitlin Circuit. And back in 1925, a gentleman by the name of George Adams and Robert Hawkins they're the ones that started the United Golf Association because, as I said, blacks were not allowed to play in the PGA. As a matter of fact, right in the PGA bylaws, it stated for members of the Caucasian race. Some of the top black players back then were gentlemen by the name of Ted Rose, Bill Spiller, Pete Brown, Lee Elder, Willie Brown Jr., Zeke Hartsfield. Mr. Willer, and of course, Mr. Sifford. And I say those names because they're not names that you will hear in just everyday conversations when you talk about the game of golf. And I want to put those names out there so that people are aware that, yes, before there was Tiger Woods, there were a lot of other black players in the game of golf. And in 1960, the UGA came to an end because that was the time period that the PGA started allowing blacks to participate in tournaments. But it did. It, it wasn't easy. Mr. Sifford was the first. And it actually came about because he won. Well, let me back up for a second. When he played on the Chitlin circuit, he won six times, including five back-to-back wins from 1952 to 1956. He played very often with uh, 
legendary jazz singer back then by the name of William Eckstein. And he was a band leader and a big jazz player back during the swing era. And he was so impressed by Mr. Sifford's ability to play the game of golf that he decided to support him financially and help him achieve his dream of playing on the PGA Tour. So Mr. Sifford started coaching him and working for him in his you know, when he was out doing his 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 jazz stuff and Mr. Eckstein would pay him. He would pay him money to help support him. And Mr. Sifford's first attempt at the PGA came in 1952 at the Phoenix Open. Joe Lewis, who was the heavyweight boxing champion back then, was allowed to play in that tournament because it's an invitation only uh, tournament. And he invited Mr. Sifford to come play. Well, neither player made the cut. And basically making the cut is, if you're not familiar with it, golf tournaments are usually four days long on the PGA Tour. They start on Thursday, end on Sunday. Thursday and Friday, your scores are added up. And there's a certain cutoff point that could be minus four, minus two, whatever that score is. If you meet that score and you're above it, then you you continue to play into the weekend. If you don't, make that score, then you don't make the cut. Neither one of these gentlemen made the cut that weekend, but that didn't stop Mr. Sifford. He continued to play on the Chitlin circuit. And in 1957, at the Long Beach Open, which was a unofficial tournament that was sponsored by the PGA, but it did not count. But the thing about this tournament, because it was associated with the PGA, a lot of the white professionals that played on the PGA, decided to play in this tournament. And Mr. Sifford was allowed to play also. And this was his first win. And he beat some of the top players, some of the top white players that played on the PGA. And he thought that that would be the start of him getting his PGA card and being allowed to play every week on the PGA Tour. But that didn't happen. And he ended up going out to California and he met a attorney general, a gentleman by the name of Matt Mosk, I believe his last name is, M-O-S-K. And Mr. Mosk decided to file a lawsuit, and he presented Mr. Sifford as a California resident whose civil rights were being violated. He asked the PGA to show reasons as to why Mr. Sifford was denied membership other than just because of his race. Well, the PGA was not able to do that. And at the age of 38, Mr. Sifford became the first black member of the PGA. Now, just another sidebar here. At age 38, most golfers are out of their prime. And Mr. Sifford, he was 38 and he was just not getting on the on the PGA tour. But once he got that opportunity, he still had a few years there where he had to he was not allowed to play some of the southern states and some of the, the, the bigger tournaments, but he did continue to play. And at the age of 42, he decided to return to North Carolina with the help of the NAACP because they knew that he was not allowed to play in North Carolina. So the NAACP stepped in and they helped him get entry into the Greater Greensboro Open, which was a golf tournament, golf tournament that had been playing there. Once word had gotten out that Mr. Silver was playing, all types of threats started coming towards him, and he didn't allow that to stop him. 
You know, he had a, a conversation with Jackie Robinson, who had just broken into the major leagues at that time. And Mr. Robinson encouraged Mr. Sifford not to quit. So that's what he did. He continued to press forward despite all the threats that he was getting. And because back then in 1952 or, or, or whatever the time or 1960 something, whatever the time was, he could not stay in hotels. So he had to stay in a dorm room at North Carolina A&T University. He was barred from restaurants. So oftentimes he would have to stay with black friends that lived in North Carolina if he wanted a place to sleep and a place to eat. And on the first day of the Greensboro Open, Mr. Sifford went out and shot a 68, which is a tremendous score. That's uh, about the average for, for pros. And late that night, Mr. Sifford received a phone call at the house that he was staying at from an unknown man. According to papers, this was a, a, a white gentleman. And Mr. Sifford could tell that by the, you know, by the sound of his voice. And this person on the other end of the phone started calling him all type of racial names and threatened him not to come to the golf course the next day. Well, like I said, Mr. Sifford wasn't backing down. He had a dream of playing on the PGA Tour. And despite the threats that was thrown his way, he did go to the golf course the next day. And on the first tee, after he hit his tee shot, he heard someone yell out, nice shot, Smokey. Well, Mr. Sifford said that he recognized that voice as the same person that was on the phone. And he said that he did become a little intimidated and he was a little scared, but he did not withdraw. He continued to play. And despite the fact that the threats and the racial slurs continued throughout his round, someone even had the nerves to pick up his ball and throw it, which, you know, he, he could not place it back where it was. It, it was against the rules. So that added a stroke to his to his score. But on the 14th hole, I guess someone finally had enough and the police decided to step in and they removed this racist gentleman and his buddies from the golf course. But Mr. Sifford went out that day and he shot a 72, which he later called one of his greatest rounds of golf. Given the circumstances and, and, and all the shit that he was going through at the moment, I <laughs> to shoot a 72. That, and, 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 and what, what's so impressive about that is that golf is, is a mental game. If your mindset is not right, you are not going to play well. I don't care how good you are. You have to have the proper mindset when you're out there playing the game of golf. And for all the things that he was going through that day, the phone call that he had received the night before, all of the racial slurs that he was being called, to go out and shoot a 72 Despite everything that he had just gone through, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Mr. Sifford continued to play on the PGA Tour, and he was limited in what he could play, but he did manage to play in some tournaments. And during his time on the PGA Tour, he managed to rack up two PGA wins. He had one win on the PGA Champions Tour, which is once you turn 50, you are you can play on what is called the Champions Tour. It's for players that are 50 and older, um, but it's still associated with the PGA. And the PGA also have what are called majors. They're like their Super Bowls, if you will. There are four majors per year. And the Masters, which is the biggest major, he didn't never play it in. He never had the opportunity to play in it. 
He did play in the PGA Championship, where he tied for 33rd in 1965. He also played in one U.S. Open tournament, where he tied for 21st in 1972. And the fourth major, which he never had an opportunity to play in, is called the Open Championship. Well, Mr. Sifford was inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame back in 2004, and he was the first black to accomplish that. Some of the other awards that he received in 2007, he was given the old Tom Morris Award, which is given to those that help shape the game. And in case you don't know who Tom Morris is, he's the person that actually invented the game of golf over in Scotland. In 2014, Mr. Sifford was given the the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Barack Obama before he passed away in 2015. Now, doing my research, I came across some interesting notes that I did not know about Mr. Sifford. And a couple of those things were that, you know, he and his wife, Rose, who passed away in 1998, they had two sons, uh, Charles Jr. and another son by the name of Craig. Well, in 2015, when Mr. Sifford passed away, his son, Craig, and Craig's wife, Sandra, they were both indicted. (laughs) They were indicted on three counts of theft one count of money laundering, and one count of unauthorized use of property. Long story short, they were basically taking Mr. Sifford's shit and stealing it. And another note that I found that I did not know was that Tiger Woods' son, Charlie, is actually named after Mr. Sifford. So I'd love to hear what you think about Mr. Sifford. If you've heard of him before, if you know some other information that I did not share about him, do me a favor. Leave me a note in the comments. Let me know what you think. Anthony at blackandproud.co and share your thoughts on um, Mr. Sifford. Also, follow me on social media, Black Proud Pod on all platforms and connect with me. I love to reach out to you guys. All right. Take care. Bye.